the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert podcast. I'm Dave Rome, and once again have control of the mic. Last I heard, James Huang's endeavors to find Bigfoot proved about as fruitful as sourcing a new Durace group set without a back order in place. And with that, James is now spending his time off by refining his sourdough. The cyclocross season is upon us, and we've seen a few recent bike releases as a result. Cannondale replaced the Super X with the much more memorably named Super 6 Evo CX. Specialized recently made its crux platform more like a gravel-going Athos, and Trek overhauled its boon to look like the Amonda. But unlike the first two bikes I just mentioned, Trek at least kept this one as a focused cyclocross racer. Purpose-built CX race machines seem to be dwindling in numbers, but Cervelo has just announced its official entry into the space, with a bike built just for the likes of Mariana Voss and Walt Barnard. The new R5 CX isn't the first cyclocross bike from Cervelo, that title belongs to the R3 Cross. However, UCI rules requiring race products to be available for sale means the new R5 CX is the first production cyclocross offering from the former Ontario and now Californian-based bike company. As a fresh build based on direct feedback from some of the world's best, I thought it would be interesting to chat about all things cyclocross bike design and how that may differ from creating one of the most popular gravel race bikes on the market. And for that, I got on the phone with Cervelo's Director of Product Management, Maria Benson, and the company's engineering manager, Scott Roy. Before we dive into that chat, I just need to give a little language warning on this episode as Scott Roy clearly likes to stay connected to his Australian roots. So there's a new cyclocross bike in town. What can you tell me about the R5CX? Yeah, so uh, we obviously, with the um, partnership with Yumbo Visma, we have some world champion cyclocross racers um, that they really require a tool for that job. And so um, it's not our first cyclocross bike, but it will be our first that we're actually going to commercialize and sell. Um, so it'd be available to, to all of us normal riders as well. So yeah, we, uh, we kind of went down that path as, as Wout uh, came on board. He was the first, uh, you know, Mariana came a little later in talking to him about things like geometry and uh, what he liked and didn't like about the bike he'd been riding. And that's really how we got basically a jump start on the development of this bike. You know, it cyclocross in terms of uh, market size isn't that big. Um, and so it's always kind of been this, we'd love to do it. You know, all of us are kind of in love with cross bikes uh, and we'd like to ride them. But financially, or I should say from a business standpoint, it didn't always make sense to do that instead of something else. Um, so we, I think as a, as a group, we were really excited to have a really good reason to do this bike finally um, and be able to, to offer it to everybody in the meantime. Sure. And then in terms of market size, you sort of referenced that it wasn't that big. Uh, I guess you might have some, some data in that sense, maybe from your sibling company Focus that might have informed stuff. Uh, but yeah, can you give any clue as to what how big you expect this market to be? Um, it's hard to quantify necessarily. Um, we can talk in percentages maybe in terms of you know our sales 
um, and comparing that to the gravel market. Okay. Um, so that's the the biggest translation. You know, when gravel was in its infancy or not really even defined, it was a gravel. It was a cross bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over the years, uh, that market has really transformed into almost entirely gravel. In from a percentage standpoint, I'm speculating, so it, we shouldn't take this as total truth, but it's maybe five to ten percent of the cycle cross and gravel lumped together. And that varies a little bit uh, by region as well. So Europe is a bit stronger in cyclocross than North America. Um, you know, gravel was here first in North America um, and is bigger here still than in Europe. So it's not um, it's not exact, you know, depending on what market you're in. Okay. So that was five to 10% of the gravel segment that you're saying? It's Yeah. It's, like if you yeah, would lump okay. those two together um, okay. because they, they do kind of cross over in terms of um, people that are buying the bikes and what they're using them for. Um, but when we talk about them in what they were designed for, um, the intention of what they were designed for, that's where the separation comes in. Gotcha. Okay. So overall, like as a, I guess across all your categories, I think uh, one of the last conversations we had was about the Asparo 5 and you're saying that that category, that gravel category is, it's become quite large for you as a brand. Um, yeah, exactly. Was it around about 30% as far as? Um, yeah, it, it depend on even the, the month at this point, you know, the, the sales um, demand and sales right now is, is, I mean, I'm sure it's the same for most brands that, it it's hard to say that something would have or I don't want to say this. So like we sell out of everything, right? Mm-hmm. So what's the total potential market size for each of these categories? And you really can't you can't quantify that unless you have leftovers gotcha. in stock, yep. right? Um but with that said, um our overall sales, yeah, within uh Caledonia and a Sparrow have taken over the majority um you know like 60-ish percent of our total sales well wow. okay all right so but within that the cycle cross is quite a, a small it's small a small category yeah, yeah. exactly okay. yeah all right and i guess that that leads me into the next question which is it kind of seems like you this bike came out of uh out of need for having signed king and queen of the sport how often do you design bikes just for a couple of pros well the last cross bike was i would say not that often yeah (laughs) yeah that's probably the last uh, direct translation to what we're doing this time okay i think you could um if oh it's tough if you go back through the history of like the r and and the s you could you could make an argument that the s5 and the r5 are still you know the the dna that we we put into it and, and the feedback we take is more heavily skewed to what the pros need but as a specific pro Jonathan Page for the old cross bike, uh, the old RS, the R2.5 was a Risa bike, wasn't it? I think that was specifically for him. So there's that one, but very rarely, very, very rarely. Like even on the inside internally, having the discussions with, with um, Maria was on board 100%, but um, sales and, and the guys signing a check to convince them that this was something we needed to do for, for Wout and Voss. Um, wasn't it wasn't an easy task so it's um gotcha. it speaks to the the magnitude of the relationship we have with yumbo that we're able mm. to are able to do this and commercialize it as well and i think really the important part of that was like and this is this is sometimes i'm really critical of the uci but i think this is an instance where where the homologation rule is important like we can 
making a one-off frame or a two-off or, or four of the same frame isn't, isn't necessarily um, very difficult. Um, but then having everything in place to the, then commercialize that line is, is where, it gets, where it gets tricky or people get cold feet. But um, yeah, I think when, when we got the yes email, I was, it was like, holy crap, we're doing this. This is awesome. So. <laughs> uh, at what point, like, I, I guess, were the conversations of just make them use the Asparo or was that never really an option? I was very firmly against that. I was, yeah. it was, I dug my heels in. I was against it. Candidly, I was against it from, from the original one where we had with, with Sunweb. Um, and that, that was a compromise. That was a, a situation we were in where we couldn't get enough resources internally to develop it properly in the time frame that we needed um, to get it to, to Sunweb in time for them to use. Um, yeah, there was, it was a, it wasn't as good of a product as we could have had or as specific as a product that we could have had for, for, um, for the cross needs. Um, I would have, yeah, if we had, if we had to do it again, we would have done what we've done this time. So, <laughs> okay. All right. And what was the de- like de- development time associated with this bike? Is it, uh, it seems like it was pretty short compared to, I guess the usual, right? Um, well, yeah, yes and no. We kind of knew a, for a while about Yumbo, at least internally, like we, and I guess this is for most kind of relationship changes, not just in sport, but you, you if you're in, in the trenches doing the work, you kind of know about it a long time before it leaks out. So, um, the, at least the conversation got started from, from almost day one, when we heard about it, we're like, okay, we need this, this has to, and it was that constant chipping away. I, I think, shit, I want to say everything's a blur now with COVID. Um, what are we in November 2011? I want to say probably 12 months ago. I think we started okay. in earnest on it. I think I could be wrong, Maria. Like, yeah, it sounds about right. And I mean, if you think about um, cyclocross and the technology within the sport, it it doesn't evolve very quickly. Um, you know, the 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 real simple the simplest example I can give is tires. You know, like you're still limited to 33C tire. Like it's been that way for a really long time. So there wasn't a lot of things that we had to sort of figure out or flush out that would have drug out the development beyond, you know, let's figure out the geometry, let's decide what what are the Cervelo specific parts we want to have integrated into the system. Um, and then from there was, you know, a lot of it was it didn't need to be figured out any further so okay. yeah it was a pretty quick development we we made it harder for ourselves with the um with the bottom bracket we could have gone an easier way with that but that was mm. that was and we might talk about this later but yeah we'll um, get to this yeah yeah the yeah. uh I- inherently it wasn't that difficult of um of an initial part of the project exactly what maria said we had yeah we had a chassis so we had a tube shape that we knew we wanted we were basing it off the r we need we knew that all of the improvements that we did on FM 140, the current R5 that we took out of the previous generation R5 is exactly what we wanted um, for the cross bike. It's a, it's a short race. It, it, you, need, you need a super lightweight frame. You need a super stiff frame. We, we then went and, and spent a lot of time with Wout um, early on to, to really design. 58 was designed specifically for him. It wasn't, it's not a derivative of, of current R series geometry or fit. It was 58 was for Wout. 51 was for Mariana Voss. So those two sizes were the bookends. And then we kind of filled in the rest to give out usual, you know, consistent trail, consistent fit numbers. Um, gotcha. But there's no alignment to any of 
our other products in in um, in our lineup. Okay. Um, yeah, right. And once we had that dialed, it was it was a matter of being like, we know what the tube shapes need to be with the R series and the R5, um, and then the development loop started. Okay, those uh, the geometry there, the you say the fifty ones for for Voss and the the fifty eights for Walt. Um, how similar are those fifty one and fifty eight in terms of like trail geometry and steering geometry? Are they very similar? They're yeah, identical. Right. Okay. The trail numbers are as we mentioned, um, and it's part of our DNA. Trail numbers are consistent. Mm-hmm. Handling is consistent um, between those two. So it was it was kind of nice that both of them had a similar kind of need um and uh, yeah exactly and it's and it almost validated what we always believed as well so you have these two independent sources that we hadn't spoken to before properly um that we took independently and asked independently of what they needed and and they aligned pretty much bang on with with obviously a smaller version of and a bigger version of so um (laughs) yeah great that was nice uh how i guess this is a a whole podcast in itself but so we won't go too deep on it but uh how much do the geometry figures uh of the new r5cx change from something like an asparrow is it like where where would you summarize the the cycle cross geometry versus uh like a gravel race geometry i think there's a few key points so bb drop i think is probably the most obvious Mm-hmm. Um, obviously this bike has a higher bottom bracket than the Asparo, um, and trail is another one, uh, whereas, um, you have a tighter trail on this versus a gravel bike. Um, Recenter was longer on the cross bike. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I think those are the main things, but I mean, standover height changes. Um, you have to have a larger triangle for cross bike, you know, things like that. So there are quite a few, quite a few differences, I would say. Okay. And then in terms of like stack and reach figures, is it is it much closer to say an R5 than it is to an Asparrow? Yes, it's lower, right? Um, so Asparrow, we translated the stack and reach from Asparrow to our previous R3, which was a little bit higher than our R5. Um, and I think the spike, Scott, you're probably looking at right now, uh, is much closer to the R5, so a bit lower. Yeah. So um, yeah, the, um, the cross bike... If you remember the original story um, and the idea with the Asparo is we lengthened that front center, right? Where we wanted mm-hmm. to talk about, it was, um, it was like, I think it was like a Gary Fisher original idea. And yeah. so mm-hmm. if you, if you normalize that back to where it should be, the cross, um, the cross bike for a 51 to a 51 on the Asparo and the cross, it, it, yeah, it sits, it sits about 10 mil lower, the cross bike. Okay. Um, and it's about... Norm, like as I mentioned, that front center increase—it's about normalized if you take that away. Um, okay. So the reach number is similar, but the stack is a lot lower. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. But then, if and you then, look at the caveats, that is sorry. If you look at the geo chart and you're like, oh, it's actually like six mil longer, and that's with that front center increase and, and the C-stay angle. So, but if you normalize it to a conventional um, geo, it, it's just mm-hmm. lower. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And then I guess, yeah, one interesting thing, which perhaps is a sign of uh, demand on the bike is just four frame sizes. Um, is that is that all that is? Is it just, it's a niche market, I guess, in, in, in the grand scheme? Yeah, it, it's the main reason. Um, you know, we we mentioned earlier, like it was a little bit of a push to get this project uh, to get started. Um, and when resources are constrained, um, 
you have to look at things like that. So uh, we we did make the decision to launch initially with four sizes for that reason. Um, I think though we are all ready and waiting for the demand to be there so that we can finish off the complete size run. Gotcha. Like sort of bookended, I assume, mm-hmm. like a, a 48 and a, a 60 something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Oh, well, fingers crossed for the tall and short people. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, going back to the Cervelo Sparrow, I, I remember that you kind of based the stiffness profile of that frame off of the, was it the R3 Mud, the bike mm-hmm. that was initially designed for Roubaix. Um, yep. Where does this, where does the cyclocross bike fit in, in terms of the stiffness profile? Uh, it's the the BB is a little bit stiffer, um, and the front end it's probably closer to the previous generation of um, R5. So we, we it it's not I don't want to say it's not a comfortable bike. It still is because we have the D shaped post, but it's it's um, it's closer to the previous generation of R5. So when we talk, we spoke about um, kind of dialing in that front end stiffness on the FM140, the new generation of, of R5, that wasn't really a factor that we would worry about with this because it's such a short um, kind of high energy, high power output race, both men and women, um, that isn't necessarily something that we wanted to compromise. We, that we wanted the chassis to be kind of as optimized for power transfer as possible. So okay. definitely closer to the, the, um, the previous R5. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And then in terms of weight, how where are we sitting with a, like a, a frame and fork? Uh, it's not completely finalized yet. We're in at about, um, I want to say for a 56, we're about, depending on where we land and, and when it goes live, I would say between 830 grams painted for a frame, 830 to 860 is where I'm trying okay. to aim for. Um, fork is, I think, 360 as well. Um, okay. But those aren't. Those aren't final numbers, so... Okay, approximate, though. Yeah. All right, well, yeah, you mentioned this new bottom racket uh, system before, <laughs> so I think I think we'll, we'll jump into that and we'll come back to some of the other features afterwards. But uh, threads, that's uh, that's new. <laughs> it's old, it is new. Actually. <laughs> yeah, new for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think um, you mentioned it already. There is definitely a, a pull um, for threaded systems. Um we we also you know we validated our BB right system. Our warranty information backs it up. Um, it's it's very well um, controlled in manufacturing, um, and it has performance benefits. Um, it's stiffer and it's lighter. So with T forty seven, we had an opportunity to keep those performance factors um, to a degree because you add these metal threads and there's a weight increase, but um, while also not only answering sort of this pull from the market that they just want the simplicity of threads, but there's also a real um, reason that a cyclocross application with all of the mud and cleaning and water, everything um, makes that almost a requirement uh, because they're pulling those and and cleaning them and putting them back in constantly. So, which is really hard to do with a press fit system. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess there'd be wear in the in the frame eventually with the with the press yeah, fit. Is that correct? Exactly. If it's, it's, inherently it's coming out every week. Yeah. yeah. Well, more than every week, but yeah, especially on the, on the high end. But it's it's um it was a really interesting story. So it's not just T forty seven. It's it's a wider. So um, 
Phoebe Wright T47. Yeah, think of it as take, and this is exactly what happened. We had a couple of R5s um, and S5s back back in the back in the office in Toronto, and we were just I can't remember why we were doing this, but we were stumbling around and, and looking at stuff, and then I'm like, we we bought a tap, a T47 tap, um, and conveniently because. Um, our tolerance diameter for, for a carbon shell for BB Wright is 46.99. Like, hang on a second, 46.9947, um, it's pretty fucking close. And then we started digging into this a little bit. bit sorry, wait, you can take that out if you don't want to swear. Um, we're all adults. <laughs> we'll um, figure it out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and then we started digging into this and it was Anton and I were like, hang on a second, this is, this is really close. So then we took those two frames and cut carbon threads into them. I'm like, hey, this actually created... So there's a different way to design for it if we want to go down that path eventually and explore, you know, composite threading. Um, but just as a rough kind of hacked together experiment, we're like, hey, this actually cut and this actually, you had pretty decent thread engagement. So we started looking at looking at the available BBs on the market and going and reading back at, at the history of, you know, T47 and, and looking at what our BB widths were. And to within like a mil and a half, we could take an existing outboard T47 bottom bracket with an outboard bearing and an inboard T47 and use it in our frame. So we went out and bought, I think it was like a dozen wheels manufacturing outboard and inboard ones and packed up a new, uh, kitted a new BB and then placed them in the threaded frames that we had in the, in the office and rode around on them. And we're like, hey, this actually this is not so bad. So we're like, hang on, we're onto something here. So. Fast forward a couple months and we're, we're in discussion with the cross bike and we're like, this is the perfect platform to, to kind of test this theory out. So we went and, you know, worked with our factory and um, frame width changed in. So we compensated for that, that offset of one and, a, one and three quarter mil, I think it was. And, um, but essentially it's, it's BB right. It's threaded BB right um, okay. with a T47 thread. So um, in it, with an alloy benefits. insert. Yep. Yep. So the, the cross bike currently has, but we're, um, looking at the current one anyway, we're exploring um, other options, not necessarily the composite threads, but there's other there's other ways that we can manufacture that, be it co-molded or bonded in or whatever. Um, but we started getting it to kind of the athletes as early as we could to get it tested and kind of um, validated, um, and then we can we can start improving it from there. But yeah, it was it was like a light bulb moment that we were we <laughs> intending to do. Yeah, right. And uh, I guess, yeah, for anyone listening at home, they might be thinking that might be a sign of further things to come. It's, I guess for you guys, it's it's in testing as far as it being. Yeah, I think what Maria said perfectly sums it up. At this point, the performance benefits of, specifically if we think about R5, S5 and P5, at this point in time, uh, and we still believe this, there's no lighter, stiffer bottom bracket platform than BB Wright. Where that goes in the future, maybe there's, like I talked about with that threaded thing, maybe there's, a, there's, there's an avenue with that that we can explore or, or composite threads or, you know, co-molded alloy cups that post-machined. Maybe then we, we get into a, a closer parity with weight to, to stiffness. But um, at this point, with the cross bike, the compromise that we had with adding a threaded bottom bracket wasn't huge. It was like 15 or 20 grams, I think it was. It wasn't very much. The benefits outweigh the the loss. Yeah, of, sure. The slight yeah. loss of weight. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'll preempt the Aspero question, where it's like, well, I <laughs> the uh, why don't you do it on Aspero? I don't think that it's a different. It's a completely different use case. Um, 
with that removal of the bottom bracket we're talking about, it's, it's multiple times a week, multiple, multiple times a week. Um, I think the normal use case for an Aspero, if you are needing to remove the bottom bracket multiple times a week for a consumer, then I think you, there's, shouldn't, maybe shouldn't be riding in those conditions constantly. Um, I just like taking it out for the sake of. Yeah. <laughs> Got a yeah. spare twenty well, minutes. Well, yeah, just, it might be different yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> if it works, I don't fiddle with it. So. Yeah. Okay. And then the the inboard outboard thing that full uh, full compatibility with all major crank brands. I assume it's. Yeah. It it doesn't change our compatibility. Yeah. We mm-hmm. use standard cranks on on everything today, so that won't change. Okay. All right. So it's yeah. basically any anything that you want to put on there, you you can within reason. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, moving away from the bottom bracket, uh, was a round seat post originally on the design list before it went yeah. to D shaped? Okay, yeah. and then yeah, the yeah. D shape was a request from the pros. Is that is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So we okay. the original the original design, um, like I mentioned with the chassis and, and tube shapes from the R R series, we basically took kind of the bottom half of the R five and then the top half of the R three. Um, and then I think it was two or three rounds of feedback later with with the mechanics and and Wout himself, um, and they were like, "Hey, can we have a can we have a non round post?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't." I, and I had no intention of really wanting to put an S series post or anything on there. I'm like, I don't, "That's arrow at that level." The compromise of adding cord length to the seat tube to accommodate that, I was ready to kind of dig my heels in. I'm like, "That's kind of silly. We don't want that." Um, but then they're like, "No, like a D shaped post." And I'm like, "Well." why and it's like well we like it will add compliance but it's is this something that you really want to go down and do and they're like, yeah it's it was something i had totally spaced on i didn't even think it was an, a um a requirement but uh they wanted a keyed post so a d-shaped post is perfect to to minimize seat post rotation during crashes so they come off the post doesn't all of a sudden spin around and the saddle's at the wrong angle so it's always constantly there and and um and that was the number one reason they wanted it. And the added compliance that you get was a bonus um, for them, but it was purely they wanted a keyed post uh, so it didn't rotate in crashes, which it was, it was like, oh, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. And it's a smart idea. Uh, yeah. That, that C-post, is it, is it a new C-post or is it borrowed from another platform? So we actually had uh, refined it a bit for R5. Um, okay. So we took some weight out of it and changed the offsets. So that easily was a translation into this project. Hmm. Yeah, cool. All right. So you obviously got full faith in the the strength of that thing being jumped on, off mm-hmm. and on. Yep. Great. Uh, sticking with the seat post, there's a double seat clamp. That's uh, that's not something I see a lot on stock bikes. I've seen it, you know, adapted uh, to to some pro bikes, but not off the shelf. Um, was that also a pro request, or was that just an uh, an idea you guys had? Yeah, no, it came from it came from Yumbo. Um, okay. Again, it was not what I was expecting. I'm like, no, we can pass these. We have zero issue with C post slip on an R5. We're not going to have anything with this. And it was again, it was um, in it was a request from the mechanics in the pits uh, to be able to like hot swap the posts and have them at the same height quickly. Um, so essentially, it's it's now locked to the rider height post out fucking power wash up sorry power wash the whole thing <laughs> plop the post back in and not have to 
really get the right measurement or if it's just a scribe mark, you don't have to really think about it. It's a lot quicker to just have it sit up against a, a, a stop. Um, does it add extra, like a factor of safety? Yes, it's two clamps. Of course it does. But the, the reasoning was, was for that more than, than anything else. And if we're doing it and we have to add it, then it's, it has to pass the minimum ISO requirements now because it's another seat post retention method. So it does it anyway. Okay. All right. So it's a, it's both external clamps, is it? It's two external Correct. clamps or yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, moving away from that, uh, tire clearance. How, how much is there? Huge. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What was the number again, Maria? It's, it's a sparrow, uh, right? I think it was 43. I still have it open. One second. Uh, 53. Sorry. So yeah. So with a Whoa. 33 mil tire, you have uh, 10 mils of clearance on each side. Okay. All right. So you could, in theory, fit a 700 by 50 tire in this thing if you didn't want to race cross? In theory. That's pretty okay. big. Yeah. It's <laughs> Dude, bigger than what the Aspera Depends on the tire, fits, probably. Right? Yeah. 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 Wasn't designed for that, that's for sure. Uh, okay. All right. But there's there's enough room in there to go gravel on this thing. If uh, Probably, yeah. If so I mean, it has the okay. same... Actually, there's a bit more clearance in the fork, right, Scott? The axle to crown yeah. is actually a bit taller than on a sparrow um it's all intended to be mud clearance though okay yeah and then mm -hmm. i assume there's there's no real mud shelf or anything in the in the frame design it's all clear and yeah straight shot yeah nice. hopefully they have to switch bikes left often less yeah. often okay yeah. yeah that is a lot of clearance yeah yeah uh complete bike builds is the what can consumers expect to see yeah, um, it's still a bit. It's still a ways out, so um, there's still some finalization happening on that front. So um, we'll share those details some date down the line. Okay. All <laughs> yeah. right. So there will be complete bikes, but uh, there will be yeah, complete okay. bikes and frame sets. I can okay. assure you of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then uh, the only other frame detail that I, I guess I'm I'm curious about is uh, what sort of thought went into the shouldering of the bike. I mean, obviously you've got the the hidden cabling and and yeah. all that but i assume they had some requests as far as the shaping of the top tube and various other things what can you what can you tell yeah. me about that um they they wanted it as uh as as what's the right word it was like a dutch way of describing it um <laughs> essentially no sharp corners um, okay. on the top tube was what it was but it was um there's a really cool story with with our one of our lead designers jonathan strack where he was um when we were in toronto where he is in toronto specifically there's like this um, near the Don, it's this kind of pseudo mountain bike, like ravine trail. Um, and he would, it was like, he would go out and like practice, like dismounts and remounts and dismounts and remounts, build up some padding on sections of the frame and, um, and come back and, and see where it was. And, and all of the, uh, all of the changes off an original kind of a conventional R series were like almost worse. There was no marked benefit to where we were. Um, so we, we stuck with that and just kind of rounded the bottom edge ever so slightly. It's, it's, it's the, you'll, when you see the frames back to back, it's, it's noticeable, but when you, in, in 3d as well, but when you, um, when you look at it in isolation, it's, it's, it's a minor, minor change. Um, but that was, that was the main thing. Was it? Okay. Um, didn't need to make it ugly. Didn't need to make it ugly. Oh, that's good. Okay. Ugly. Non ugly, Very, non sharp. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It was, yeah, it was, like I mentioned originally, it was like, you know, how can we, let's think outside the box of solving this problem. And the easy one, obviously, for the team, there's no, no down to bottom out for the team-specific bites. 
we don't, it's fine. We can commercialize that and put one on the commercial side. So that's a, another easy way of just getting things out of the way, um, cables out of the way, um, and just as large of a volume in that um, front triangle as possible. Okay. Yeah, great. Let's talk about the front end of the bike. You've gone, is it internal cable routing at the front? Concealed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, the team is using uh, their sponsored items. So they have FSA bar and stem on there. Um, but it's basically the same uh, routing configuration as the new R5. Um, so And Caledonia 5 for that matter. So same bar and stem um, combinations, compatibility from a spec standpoint. So when we commercialize it, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and then the um, Wow and Mariana will be using the FSA systems. Okay. All right. That, that brings up an interesting uh, question for me, which is mentioned the bottom bracket, threaded bottom bracket, needing that the thread makes a lot of sense because these, these bikes are being pressure washed after being tortured every ride. Uh, but this headset design, the, the hoses are running through the headset, correct? The, the bearings are, are trapped or the top bearing is? Yes. Top bearing is, yeah. Why that decision? Why, why go that decision as, as opposed to just uh, external cables and allow easy headset bearing replacement? So it's, it's interesting if you approach it from a different perspective um, and you look at solving the problem of why decabling and cleaning needs to happen, having no holes in a frame is kind of smart, right? Less points of ingress into a frame allows for cleaner bearings. Um, it allows for less need for, for decabling. Um, so that was one. The other one was the request from the team actually to try and obviously when you're shouldering a bike, you want as minimal amount of um, interference as possible. And just re- completely removing the cables was weirdly something that no, like I, I, I'm yet to see completely internally routed cross bikes. And it's just always surprised me where it's like, this is probably one of the things, one of the, the disciplines where you want that, where you want to be able to not have any interference when you're shouldering the bike. Um, but yeah, with, with, with cables that are completely routed through the stem, um, and completely internal, there's less points of ingress. There's less areas that mud can get into the frame. Um, and we've had, I would say really good feedback, uh, positive feedback from a Sparrow fire being in the market that it's not a huge problem. Like we're not seeing... We're not seeing these upper bearings deteriorate infinitely quicker than we would conventional, um, like an R5 or something like that, the previous generation R5. Um, so yeah, it was it was a case of solving a problem of cleaning up uh, the frame itself to help better with with you know um, shouldering it, and then how can we do that without obviously like there's min- there's m- minor things where you like round off edges on the on the tube shapes, and you try and increase the volume in that in that main triangle area, but like, what else can we do to do that? What else can we make it so it's, it's error free when they jump off the bike and jump back on the bike. Um, and that was, that was, it's always interesting because I, there's, there's a few topics that on this bike that I know that we're going to get asked about. And it's obviously a thread of bottom bracket leading into a Sparrow and cable routing. Cause they're both, when you look at it, when you look at it just as dot points, you're like, these are fucking stupid. They're polar opposites. You're saying one thing and then you're saying the other thing and you're like, well, but, dig a little deeper into it and you're like, well, actually, if we do this, we don't need to decable. And I think we talked about it and Maria mentioned it really early on when we first introduced the, the system on Caledonia 5 
you really shouldn't be decabling your bike. We're not like we're not seeing cable. Well, I shouldn't say that. Running mechanical systems, eventually you do have cable stretch. That's fine. Um, but sis, like groups now are so so good that we're not getting to the point where after a thousand miles we need to pull the whole thing apart, regrease everything, new 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 internals, new externals, and 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 talk everything back up and dial it back in again. Where we're seeing you know thousands of miles between needing to even you know rebleed a brake system. Okay. But potato potato. Some people like to tinker. So. Sure. And that the headset ceiling, is it any different to any of the other bikes or is it very similar to like an Aspara? Aspara uh, we're, still, we're still dialing it in a little bit as well. Uh, okay. Yeah. With the, with, the, with the team using the FSA ones, we haven't had as much time um, using the, like the same Aspara system. So um, stay tuned. Okay. All right. Uh, and then, yeah, so electronic only as a result of that internal routing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's no external ports to change that? No, it's another way of uh, keeping holes out of the frame and keeping it sealed as well. Okay, all right. Uh, and then are there bottle cage mounts on this thing? There's Yeah, there, there's two. <laughs> the, okay, all right. The, uh, the pro frames are, you know, they just have the one, um, but we'll sell it with two. Okay, and then uh, no fender mounts or anything like that, just keeping mm-hmm. it fully race? Yeah. Fully race. Okay. Uh, well, that kind of comes to the end, but I've got one last question for each of you, which is uh, what's your favorite detail of the bike? Like what's, what's been the most enjoyable design? What are you sort of most happy to see make the cut? I think I have two. Okay. Uh, so DC post is one. Um, that's a, something from, uh, you know, riding it on our other platforms that I see so much benefit in. Um, and to see another use for that, that isn't just about like compliance or even a, a bit of a narrow benefit. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited that uh, it could translate in that way. Um, also, the, the bottom bracket for me, uh, I think the sort of solution of BB Wright with T47 uh, configuration, it's a really smart solution for this platform. Um, and we know it works, you know, it's, it's validated many times over with just threaded systems in general, and we can maintain the performance benefits of, of what we know is, is the best. So I think those two are, I'm pretty excited about both of them. Hmm. Scott? Oh, it's tough. Um, <laughs> I think definitely just, just the, the way that we stumbled across the T47, it's, it's super satisfying that everything it's very rare that these things work out so cleanly um so that definitely that i think i i think i'm i'm thinking back to like I remember getting photos from from richard and and the team of of wout on the on a blacked out one and i think there was a couple of photos that le- leaked way early like beginning of the year it was like a blacked out frame and and knowing what we went through to get to this point with the frame and and like from a commercial point of view and and seeing how you had these people stoked about just the system itself and um and cross guys are hardcore cross guys like they fully on board with supporting cross and and seeing them excited about it and and like what is that oh this tube shape is this and i think that just as a system and looking at the bike and and you know the yumbo colorway with like tan walls on it it looks it looks so fucking good it's a really nice looking frame so as a system i think it's it's um just it's really satisfying that finally we have you know a a true race weapon in the stable that we can offer people 
which I know wasn't really your question, but I'm going to do it anyway. So. Yeah, nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it feels like a good place to wrap up. Yeah. Um, thank you very much, Scott. Thank you very much, Maria. And uh, yeah, good luck with uh, getting the bike out there at the World Cups and World Champs. Been pretty thank good you. so far, so. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you've had what? Two wins already. Yeah. yeah two out of three. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, no, no. luck needed then. Just keep Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, there you have it, the design and creation of a cyclocross race bike for two legends of the sport, and perhaps with a teaser of some things Cervelo is currently working on. If you like this episode, then please consider leaving us a positive review to help other nerd cyclists find us. And as always, I'd like to thank Velo Club members and subscribers to Cycling Tips for making the Nerd Alert podcast possible without the need for advertising or show sponsors. We'll catch you next week. Cheers.